You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Today, uh, we're in week number 11, y'all, week number 11 of our series on the book of Acts. If you're visiting with us today, you're new to Rev Church, you're here for Mother's Day, what we like to do here is we like to go through books of the Bible verse by verse. We think that is one of the most effective ways uh, to actually study Scripture as a church together. And today, we are going to take a look at the scattered church as we wind up in Acts chapter 8 and look at the first four verses. Y'all, I can remember when I was a kid, uh, there was a movie that freaked me out, kept me up at night, scared me to death. And it was a character in this particular movie that scared me to death. Now, you may laugh at me, and I'm sure you will, but you know the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the 70s version that whoever made it was probably on LSD? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know that version, okay? The Oompa Loompas from that movie terrified me, y'all, okay? Uh, we've got a picture of them right here. It still freaks me out today, okay? Like in that movie, they appeared out of nowhere. I don't know what happened to that one kid that went to the boiling chocolate. I don't know if they crushed the blueberry girl too much and she's dead. I have no idea. You know what I'm saying? And I used to think to myself, oh, no, if I go to sleep, a Oompa Loompa is going to come in my room and get me, y'all. Freaked me out. As an adult, that'd be ridiculous to be scared of, right? Because that fear is never going to happen, and that's like most of our fears and our worries, right? Most of them never happen. I was thinking about that this week, and I was just thinking, wouldn't it be great if the only things that we had to worry about were the things that we worried about when we were kids. See, as you're going along in life, you get a few more stressors, you get a few more worries, you get a few more fears. And really, what I've found in my life, what's true for me and I think true for everybody else is, the things that we worry about the most, the things that we're most fearful of, the things that we're most concerned about, are typically the things that we trust God with the least Well, as we look at these first four verses in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see that the church, the early church in the book of Acts, had reason to worry. They had some concern, and it results in the church being scattered, and we'll explain what that is. Uh, If you remember last week, a lot different than this week, we read 67 verses of Scripture. This week we've only got four, okay? Uh, But 67 verses that were all about a man named Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, uh, who, for lack of a better way of putting it, gets put on trial in front of the religious leaders. And as we read through chapter 7, we saw Stephen give a history of the Old Testament in all that scripture we read, and in doing so, and in the process of it, shows the thread of how the entire Bible leads to the Messiah and points to one man, and that man is Jesus. The scripture tells us that Stephen expertly defended the gospel with the Old Testament, and he was full of wisdom and knowledge, and that's great. But then at the end of chapter 7... Something drastic happens. If you remember, 
And Stephen becomes the first what we call in the church martyr, someone that is killed for their faith when Stephen is stoned to death. Now, if you just read Acts chapter 7 and see that Stephen is killed for his faith without reading Acts chapter 8, it would lead to several questions that we ask all the time. Stephen had such potential, God. He was clearly such a gifted and talented preacher. Why, God, would you take him in the prime of his life? Why, God, would you allow one of your own children to go through such hardships and suffer like Stephen did? Why, God, would you let this life end so prematurely? Well, the reason we would ask that question is because We haven't read the rest of the story. We don't know how God used Stephen's death. It's been said before that Stephen's death in Acts chapter 7 is the hinge for the church expansion beyond the walls of Jerusalem. See, if the book of Acts were a TV show, let's say like The Walking Dead, they're in their last season right now, and they're breaking it up into three different parts with many different episodes. Uh, The book of Acts has several different parts to it with many different episodes. Uh, Acts chapters 1 through 7 was one part of Acts with several episodes. And Acts chapter 8 that we're opening up today through Acts chapter 12 is another part of the book of Acts. And episode 1 today could be called the expansion of the church as a result of the persecution that they're up against. So let's go to Acts chapter 8. Let's read verse 1, the A part, and then we'll read the rest of it together. And uh, I think we'll end up in a good place today because my prayer today is, is that you'll be encouraged today, especially those people in here that maybe you're going through a trial, maybe you're going through a test, maybe you feel like you're persecuted, maybe there's something very difficult in your life. Uh, I think today's going to really encourage you. So Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Y'all with me? Say, I am. It's going to be good today. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you came to church today. You're going to be really glad. I'm telling you, man, you're going to be glad. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we're reminded of someone that we were introduced to last week. It says, and Saul approved of their killing them, speaking to the death of Stephen and the stoning of Stephen. Last week, we were introduced to Saul who later in the New Testament, if you didn't know this, becomes Paul. Now, I can't wait for three weeks from now because Pastor Brandon is actually going to preach on the conversion story where Saul becomes Paul, and it's going to be incredible. Can't wait for that. Augustine once said that we owe Paul to the prayer of Stephen. If you remember last week in Stephen's death, we talked about the parallels of Stephen's death And Jesus' death on the cross. And at one point, Stephen asked God to forgive the people that are stoning him. And if you remember, Paul was holding the coats of the people that were killing them. Perhaps the greatest way in which God uses Saul, who would later become Paul, is not his conversion story, though. Perhaps it's not the fact that Paul would end up writing two-thirds of the New Testament... It's not that, it's not that uh, Paul would really be the second most significant historical figure for the church aside from Jesus. Perhaps, maybe, the greatest way that God used Paul 
was he brought persecution on the church that forced the church to enact stage two of the Great Commission. Watch what happens. The rest of verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This past Wednesday was May 4th, and it was a special day for a lot of people because it was, anybody know what it was, May the 4th? Star Wars Day, may the 4th be with you, right? Essentially what we see in Acts chapter 8, the first four verses, is Saul, to put it in Star Wars terms, puts out an order 66 on Christians in Jerusalem, like he did for the Jedi. If you're a Christian, the word's out. We're going to find you. We're going to throw you in prison. And we might kill you. The result of this is that the church scatters all over Judea and Samaria. Saul had a plan to kill the church by first killing Stephen, but God uses Stephen's death, and it results in, as I said, stage two of God's mission to be fulfilled for the early church. If you remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's what we call the Great Commission. It's what every Christian and every corporate entity of church we try to do is fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, back in week number one, we talked about this, of this series, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Stage one of God's plan has been fulfilled. The believers have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They have evangelized Jerusalem, the city that they live in. But here was the issue that was happening. All of the Christians inside the city of Jerusalem were Hebrew Christians. And in their mind, when they heard Jesus say, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth are going to be converted to Christianity, they thought that meant people were going to come to Jerusalem and become Hebrews. And through Judaism, you're going to see this. Remember this, because we're going to talk about this constantly the rest of the book of Acts, because they argue about it. They thought people would become Jews first and then become Christians. But that's not what God meant and Jesus meant. Stage two happens because the church is scared and they're scattered. And they go and they start to evangelize Judea and Samaria. I've got a map for you guys to show you guys where Jerusalem is uh, in reference to Judea and Samaria. Does everybody see Jerusalem kind of in the top right, middle right there? It's in red. That's where they were. And they were comfortable. Things were going good. People were getting healed. Few arguments here and there with some religious people, but nothing really bad taking place. Well, all of a sudden, persecution comes on the church, and now they're scattered throughout all Judea. And then I can't wait till next week because I get to preach on why it was so significant that the disciples and the apostles 
spread the gospel to Samaria up north. I'm going to give you the history of Samaria and why the Jewish people absolutely abhorred and hated the Samaritans. And they fulfill that scripture that says you got to love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you. And I think it's going to really minister to everybody in here. But you can see now the gospel is starting to spread. Stage two of God's plan is enacted. And the catalyst for that was the death of Stephen. In Acts chapter 11, we're going to see later on in a few weeks that what happened to Stephen is still causing the church to spread. Listen to what it says in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Remember, it's got to be for Jews first, but watch what happens. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. This is very significant because unless you're a pure Jewish bloodline under the sound of my voice, this means you wouldn't be saved if this didn't happen. Does that make sense to everybody? Because we're all Greek. That reminds me of my big fat Greek wedding. Does anybody know that movie? Like, I love that movie. Look at your neighbor and say, you're Greek, homie. You know what I mean? I don't know why I'm saying homie so much. That's the second time. I don't know. That's a good word for Crossville, right? Like everybody says homie here. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. just want you to know, before we go any further, that, and we've got this for the screen, so you'll remember this. Make it your screensaver. If you want to fulfill Acts chapter 1, verse 8, then you will absolutely experience Acts chapter 8, verse 1. In other words, if you want to fulfill the Great Commission and you want to spread the gospel and you want to see your family members that don't know Jesus not go to hell and you want to be a witness for him and you want to be a light in the dark world and you want to fulfill Acts chapter 1, verse 8, then you will absolutely experience trials and persecutions, relationship problems, people that hate you as a result of it, and you will experience Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Make no mistake, though, God has called his church to spread the gospel in spite of anything that comes against them. What we see in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, is Saul's plan to wipe out the church had failed miserably. Because what it actually did when they killed Stephen was it spurred the church on to greater heights. Every time you see persecution come against God's church, you know what happens? The church thrives. In America right now, Voice of the Martyrs would tell you that the place where the church is growing the fastest in the world right now, the two places, you know where they are? China and Iran church is exploding. You know what those two places have in common? Christianity is illegal. Tertullian, he's a, uh, they name people weird stuff back then. Why'd they do that, you know? Why can't they just call Tertullian Dave, you know? We're going to rename Tertullian to Dave. Dave said one time, the great theologian, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Spurgeon, the great preacher, listen to what he said one time. Never did the church so much prosper as so truly thrive as when she was baptized in blood. 
The ship of the church never sails so gloriously along as when the bloody spray of her martyrs falls on her deck. We must suffer and we must die if we are to ever conquer this world for Christ. One preacher put it this way, if you trace the history of the early church in the book of Acts, you will find it's like tracking a deer through the snow that's been wounded. Blood is all over the trails of where the early church walked. And I'll tell you guys, I tend to agree with one thing I read that said really the biggest problem with the church in America today is it's too easy. Nobody wants to kill us. Because when that happens, the church will thrive. Church will thrive. It would be interesting and revealing to see what would happen to modern day churches if persecution comes and when persecution comes. How many people would defect from the church? How many people would deny their faith? Uh, it would probably be very telling, but I want you to notice that in these four verses, the early believers fled Jerusalem, but they did not defect from their faith. They leave Jerusalem for safety measures and all kinds of things, but they go preaching the gospel. They're not denying their faith. Now, the point of Acts 1, Acts 8, 1 through 4, I believe, is it is one of the strongest historical examples we can point to and proof for us that increases our faith today that God is sovereign and all things work for the good of those who love him. Got one amen out of that. The rest of y'all, you're going to be amen in a minute. I promise. I want y'all to think about something. Um, what are the most significant moments or days that have defined your life? What are the days that have molded and shaped you into who you are now? Now, it's probably a combination of the two things that I'm going to point out, the good days and the bad days. But what I found in my life is, for most people, one of those dominates their mind. For most people, it's either glass half full or glass half empty. For most people, they're either Tigger or they're Eeyore. Y'all know what I'm saying? Everybody with me? Amen? See, for some people, a day that would define your life is the day you got married. It was beautiful. You loved it. Maybe you did the best to do it God's way and you waited until it. So like your wedding day was special because you got to do things with your spouse that you had waited to do till you were married. And it was something that was just unbelievable and people came together and it was full of love. Maybe 
a day that has defined your life is the day you worked really, really, really hard and you got the promotion that you've always wanted and now you've got the dream job that you always wanted to have and God blessed you with that. You started a business, you worked really hard, it ended up being successful, it's viable now and you've made it and you're like, man, that is one of the best days of my life was the day that I stepped on on faith, I trusted God and it's ended up being a wonderful thing. For some people in here, the days that have molded and shaped you are the memories the good, great, awesome memories you have growing up with your family and how, how, how great your mom and dad were and how wonderful they were. For some people in here, a day that defines your life is the day that you had kids. Like, man, you went to the hospital and you became a mom. You went to the hospital, you became a dad, and it completely made your life better. I heard a story about a mom that was at Walmart standing in the checkout line with her little girl. And uh, the line was really long, and the little girl was acting up like crazy, being awful. And the mom just kept looking at the little girl going, It's okay, Ellen. Don't cry, Ellen. We're going home soon, Ellen. We're almost done, Ellen, just over and over having to talk to this little girl, just looking at her. Ellen, it's okay. Don't cry, Ellen. Well, she finally gets up to the cash register, and this is an old story because we all check ourselves out now, and there's no such thing as cashiers anymore, right? Stuff's more expensive, but, like, we don't have cashiers. That doesn't make sense. But anyway, we're, we're the cashiers, right? So this is an old story. But the cashier looks at this mom and says, man, you are being such a great mom. The way you're dealing with little Ellen here is just amazing. That mom looked at the cashier and said, she's not Ellen. I'm Ellen. Thank God for the moms. Amen, y'all. If your mama's with you right now or your wife who has your kids is with you right now, look at them right now and say, I thank God for you. Amen, y'all. Like, they put up with a lot. Thank you, moms. Thank you, grandparents that are raising your kids' kids. Thank you, uh, stepmoms. Thank you, adoptive moms. Thank you, Mr. Moms, you know. Maybe you don't have a wife or whatever, and you're playing mom and everything. So they put up with a lot. Amen, y'all. Mother's Day is a special day. I tell that story to say maybe the day you have kids has turned into a day that has defined you because they're driving you crazy. You know what I'm saying? It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Maybe a day that defines you is not the day that you got married anymore, but it's the day you got divorced. It's the day that uh, your sin was found out where you messed up in your marriage. Maybe it's not the day you got your dream job or started your business, but maybe you got laid off during COVID. Maybe you got fired for doing something stupid. Maybe it's not the great memories with your family, but Maybe you were raised by a drug addict. Maybe, maybe your family was super broken. And you can't help but get over that stuff. Maybe it was a diagnosis or a physical problem that happened in your life that has defined you, tormented you, held you back. It's been your main focus in your life. These four verses 
are encouragements to believers that we can set our feet on and know that no matter what has defined us, whether it's good or it's bad, God will use all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I want to end today with four introspective questions for you to wrestle with. I'm not going to answer them. I'm going to do the best I can to explain them. But four things for the scattered believer, as we talk about the scattered church, make no mistake about it, there are scattered believers in here today. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what God's doing. You don't understand what is going on in your life. Four things that I want you to consider. And I'll have it on a chart for you because my charts are awesome. Amen, y'all. Don't laugh. Questions for the scattered believer. Number one, do you love God? Do you love God? Romans 8.28, I've quoted it so many times here today. So many people pull this verse out of context and they leave a couple of words out that are very important. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Piggyback question on that is, are you really saved? Can God even work in your life? Or is Christianity, church, is it just a band-aid that you put on your problems because it's the culturally appropriate thing to do where you live? Do you love God? Number two, have you prioritized God's purpose for your life? The early church, who this happens to, the priority for them was the mission that God had given them, the purpose that God had given them. And as a result of them being laser-focused on doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do, God uses the death of Stephen to spur the church on to greater things happening as a result to go reach the world. In other words, God is prioritized in their life. You're going through something. You're in the middle of something. What's the most important thing to you? Have you prioritized God's purpose in your life? In other words, is God allowing this hardship to happen to you? Or is it a result of your own sin and you're blaming it on God? as a scapegoat so you don't have to repent and blame yourself? Is it based off decisions you've made that aren't in line with prioritizing God in your life? Number three, everybody still with me? Say, I am. Do you need perspective? Do you need perspective? In other words, I'm not minimizing what you're going through, but is it really that bad? You being drug out in the middle of the street like Stephen and being stoned to death? 
or are you just being a little drama? Three to six months from now, Labor Day, I don't know how long, I'm, I'm terrible with timetables, but Labor Day weekend, you know what starts, right? UT football. Yeah. It's been a rough 25 years. Amen, y'all. <laughs> but there's still going to be fans this year. This is our year. And within a month, they're going to post on social media, life is over. We stink again. We can't beat anybody. I don't ever want to live. Look, really, that's what people do. Seriously. Some of y'all in here, your entire happiness and, and mood and everything is based off a stupid football team. They're not stupid. I like them too. I hope they win. That's okay, you know. But come on, man. You need some perspective, bro. Is it really that bad? My son is, I'm pretty sure he's 11 years old. Somebody told me in between services because last service I couldn't remember. Any other dads in here struggle with your kid's age? Like I'm like, how old are you again? His birthday was last month, so I can't. 11. Brooke's not in here. Okay, good. Um, he's 11 years old, and uh, uh, we started homeschooling him a couple years ago. <laughs> he hates school, man. He hates school. He's just like his dad. He, he gets so mad when he has like something goes wrong or he has to take a big test, and his face will turn red, and he'll get so mad, and he'll be like, I hate school. I'm going to find who invented school, and I'm going to punch him in the face. Literally, that's what he says. You know, as his dad, I look down at him at 11 years old, and I'm just like, son, it ain't that bad. Come on now. You got to go to school. You got to take a test. It's not that bad, buddy. You're going to go through worse things. I think sometimes God looks down at us, and he just thinks, son, it's not that bad. You're not being scattered and losing everything you own like the early church, you know. Honey, it's not that bad. Stop with the drama. Take a deep breath. Calm down. Get some perspective. Number four. Everybody with me? Say amen. Do you need patience? We started this sermon. I said, you know, when you read chapter 7, it leads to all those questions. Why, 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 God? And the reason we ask why is because we haven't seen and we haven't read the rest of the story and how God used it. Have you seen the other side of the story? Of how God is going to use what you've been through or even what you've done for good. See, I found, I'm going to repeat this, the things we worry about, the things we stress about, the things we struggle with, the things that we're most fearful of, for all of us in here, are usually the things we trust God with the least. Do you need patience? Do you need to trust God that even if I'm in the middle of it right now, I know God has a plan for this, God has a purpose for this, and God is going to use this in my life. Romans chapter 5. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul pens these words. Weird, we're talking about Saul and persecuting the church. And now here we are reading the words of Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Mother's Day is a weird day for a couple different kinds of people. I'm very aware of it because I'm one of those kinds of people. Uh, There's people where on Mother's Day they don't know what to do and how to honor their mom because their mom, quite honestly, was terrible. You know, they were the drug addict. They were the one that gave them up. They never knew their birth mom or whatever. And so Mother's Day is this weird conundrum of like, how do I celebrate Mother's Day even though my mom's all jacked up and she did a horrible job raising me? But on the other side, uh, very similar, are people that on Mother's Day have lost their mom and they don't have their mom. And so they're, they're mourning the loss of their mom, and that's me. Uh, because in 2005, my mom died of cancer. And uh, I remember she got diagnosed, I think, uh, around 2003. Again, I'm horrible with timetables. But in 2003, she got diagnosed with gallbladder cancer, which is more aggressive than pancreatic cancer, just to give you an idea. And uh, went through some all kinds of treatments and different things like that. And we, we had about a year and a half with her until she died. And I watched during that year and a half how difficult it was Physically for her, she's getting broke down emotionally and mentally. Hey, our family's jacked up just like y'all's family's jacked up. Amen, y'all. And so we had to get over some stuff to be able to take care of her. There were fusses. There was tension. There was all kinds of stuff. Uh, There was baggage from the past and all kinds of different things. And uh, it was extremely difficult. Lots of suffering. Uh, Just hard, hard stuff. And uh, I remember a few years ago, I think it was on a Mother's Day actually, I had this thought when I was thinking about my mom. You know, people say stuff when people die like, well, they're gone now. Well, according to Scripture, they've just gone home now. Well, they've died. No, according to Scripture, they're more alive than they have ever been if they know Christ and they're in heaven. And I thought of my mom and I thought, man, the weight of glory that she is experiencing now is beyond all comparison, like 2 Corinthians says. What she went through was a light, momentary affliction. And how God used that in our family, and in my, that's what spurred me into ministry, is amazing. But I really had this one simple thought. For the Christian... For the believer that has put their trust in Jesus, y'all know this, even when we lose, we win. I mean, seriously. Stephen didn't lose. Stephen won. You're not going to lose. Because of Jesus, you will win. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that is here under the sound of my voice. Special message for Mother's Day, God. We thank you for the moms in here. They're so awesome. 
Uh, We praise you for them. But specifically today, I pray for the folks in here that are struggling. It's probably almost everybody. Baggage, hurting. And boy, this is the place to be. This is the hospital we go to. Lord, I just pray that they would be filled with the Spirit and given the strength to be obedient to do whatever it is you've called them to do, to continue to be the person that you've called them to be in the face of trials. I pray that we all understand that while some of us are going through a test now, there will be a testimony on the other side. I pray for the ones today that need to repent. You've opened their eyes today. The reason they're miserable, the reason they're tormented, the reason is because they're not committed to you. They're not loving God the way they should. So God, I pray that today is a hinge in their life to where they'll turn to you. It's a weird prayer, God, but we thank you for the sufferings that we go through. We thank you for the pains and the heartaches that we struggle through. Because they they lead to perseverance. They lead to the hope that we know we all have. And we cling to desperately because it's all we got, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.